Hi and welcome to the maiden voyage, the very first episode of Driving Leadership. This is where we discuss real life leadership, examples, failures, where we've learned, and what you can do in your organization to implement real life things to help you, your business, and the people around you. I'm David Foster, and my co-hosts are Mike Metcalf and Sean Peake from Deck Leadership. Our mission here, which we've chosen to accept, is <laughs> to provide you with the ability to improve your business. And that's whether you're an owner, whether you're a manager, whether you lead a small team, we're here to help you improve your life and the lives around you through leadership. And so I'm going to let Sean and Mike introduce themselves and revel in all their glory. Well, this is going to be quick because I don't have much glory to revel in. But uh, <laughs> Mike Metcalf, uh, failed college football player, uh, had a couple of injuries and was deemed uncoachable. Uh, so that's not uh, the resume that you need to go to the National Football League. Uh, stumbled into racing thought maybe it would be something that I would do for a few years. I was a uh, finance and banking major. I'm from Charlotte. It's a big banking town. Assumed that I would do this racing thing for a few years and then probably go in the corporate world. And that was 17 years ago. Uh, I went from developmental pit crew, athlete, to parts room clerk, to uh, linking up with Sean a year in. And then we just kind of been on a journey that uh, I don't know that I would have thought that it would have gone this far at the moment, but uh, I'm very fortunate that it has. Uh, we've gone from pit crew athlete to pit crew coach and are now uh, directors of uh, pit crew, um, culture, and community engagement at Trackhouse Racing. Yeah, and my, uh, my story mirrors Mike. I'm uh, uh, from Vancouver Island, British Columbia. Came to the United States on a hockey scholarship. I have the distinct honor of being the only person to take an Ivy League degree to NASCAR, um, which uh, I'm still waiting for the school to excommunicate me, um, and, and linked up with Mike. Um, and if I can offer anyone a piece of advice, it's to find a world-class human being and hit your wagon to him. And um, yeah, we've, we've just been on this journey of, uh, you know, of being put into tough situations and having to navigate them. And uh you know, we live a story and, and we're not here to be right. We're here to help get it right. And, and all the leaders out there that, you know, uh, you know, find themselves in this new position or, you know, have got a, got a promotion and they don't know how to lead. Um, it's giving them some tips and some tactics that, you know, the things that we never had and, and that we had to fail at. And if we can, you know, if we can shorten that learning curve, um, you know, by, uh, you know, sh sharing what we went through, um, we're all for it. So excited to be here, David. Thank you. If we're going to have some sort of uh, contest on failures, I don't think the listeners have the time to listen to all of our failures. <laughs> Correct. Hopefully we can help them with some lessons. Right. But I think, you know, our conversations about starting this were actually pretty short. And we just have a very clear intent, and that is to help. And we don't have anything to sell other than you know, our, our advice or our anecdotes or our failures, what, what people can listen to and hopefully profit from. And another big part of what we want to communicate to everybody is 
usability. So this isn't theory, right? This is things that you can apply today, right now as you're listening. And one of the biggest principles about that is understanding the mechanisms behind how leadership affects businesses, how it affects people, how it affects communities. And if you understand how that works, then you can take the tools and techniques and tricks that people talk about, including us, and modify them and make them work in your situation. Because if you understand how the mechanism works, it gives you the flexibility to adjust or adapt the tools or techniques that you read about or hear about. And this is something that we've all talked about in the past, how every situation is slightly different, and yet there's commonality between all of them. Correct. Correct. And I think, you know, I think that, you know, the best piece of advice I can give to young leaders right now is that you're going to find yourself somewhere between overconfidence and self-crushing imposter syndrome. And that's normal, yes. right? I think a lot of times, you know, leaders go into a situation and they think that, well, they should have all the answers because they've seen everyone else in leadership roles historically have all the answers. And those people were exactly, exactly where you're at right now. Right. The only difference was that they acted. Right. And if it was wrong, they learned it. Uh, they learned the lesson, took the teaching points out of it and scrapped the rest and moved on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, not to jump too, too far into the content, but, <laughs> you know, we, we wrote a book uh, a few years ago. It came out, 12 Second Culture, and we kind of lead off with these just staggering statistics about the majority of the heart attacks in the U.S. happening on Monday mornings mm -hmm. and two thirds of employees would trust a complete stranger before they would trust their boss. Mm -hmm. And then I believe it was two thirds of empl uh, employees that were surveyed uh, acknowledged that they have very little connection to the work that they do daily. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about leadership here. <laughs> it affects all of those, the stress that you feel, the trust that you have amongst your team, that means you have no efficiency if you have no trust for in, in your boss. Uh, and then if you're not connected to the work you're doing, I mean, I think it's up for leaders. I think we've, we've kind of missed it a little bit. We've, we've, we've done such a deep dive into process that we've forgotten about people. And I think this podcast, Driving Leadership, is all about how we can get that people component back. Right, right. And I think also when you talk about people looking at leaders that they had and they think that or they feel like they had all the answers you're missing the lower part of the iceberg under the water which is all the failures and i know we yeah. joke about it right but you know it's it's possibly us whistling through the graveyard but you know our experience includes failures and a successful leader's experience includes failures and so i think you know part of the practical part about the, the this podcast is to be able to get people to consider that embracing failure and not being afraid of it even in small everyday doses is the pathway to doing better and doing better for the people around you you're you're absolutely right david you know it, it's funny you know mike and i in in essence we are failure coaches you know, our job is to train five people to change four tires in nine seconds. Mm -hmm. um, we operate right on the verge of human possibility. 
So when we go into weekends, you know, at a NASCAR race, we don't go into the weekend thinking we're not going to fail. We know we're going to fail because uh, we're right up against it. Um, our The success of our weekend is determined by how we meet failure, how quickly we move through failure, and how much we learn from failure. Mm-hmm. You know, like we get we get failure wrong in this country. We, like so many of us look up at successful people thinking that they've never failed. Mm-hmm. And nothing could be further from the truth, right? The reason we look up at them is because they stand on a mountain of failures. Mm-hmm. They just do two things better than a lot of the rest of the people. They don't let it stop them, mm-hmm. and they don't let it define them. Because mm-hmm. the truth about failure is we've all done it. Every one of us. We're all fallible human beings. And you can handle failure in life. What sidetracks people is compounding failure, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's failing and then holding on to that failure so that it affects your next encounter mm-hmm. or your next sporting event or your next meeting. And then it carries over to the next one and the next one. And instead of just shedding that failure and allowing yourself some grace and get back to showing up 100% yourself, you carry that failure throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And then it eventually drags you down. Mm-hmm. Life is, if you can avoid compounding failure, right? Success is trajectory. It's up, up and to the right. That's what success is. Success isn't throwing a no hitter, mm. right? And I think that's what's really important for listeners to understand. Yeah. John always says that fail is the first act in learning, and we uh, <laughs> we we've lived we've lived up by that. Uh, mm. We had a huge banner that said "Win or Learn" that we got printed and put up in our race shop, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> it took us a while to win. Yeah, to the point where. People made a joke calling us, uh, you know, uh, PhD Metcalf and Dr. Pete. We, we we hadn't won any, so we must have done a lot of learning. So, we, <laughs> but but eventually the wins came, and and it was it was like 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 we're all saying here, <clears throat> extract the teaching moments. Um, don't it's just it's just a speed bump, right? And I think that there is this misconception that leaders have to have all of the answers no or i don't know are incredibly strong statements coming for leaders yeah yeah it's there's a humility to that and there's a you know i don't know but let me work on it or let me get back to you let's think about it um and i just you know again just trying to bring a different and refreshing kind of view to to the leadership journey because most people it will admit they may enjoy their their bonus and stock options and their corner office but a lot of the rest of it is, is, is very unfulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, let's, let's take this idea and segue into, you know, the idea of why leadership matters. That's what we want to cover on this very first podcast, right? We want to talk about, you know, there's good leaders and bad leaders, but I don't think there's a lot of clarity out there in the world as to why it matters if they're good or they're bad, right? And I think that obviously it affects business performance. In my mind, it affects business performance. It has an effect on employees' development, right? It, it, it's not true that the description of what you guys do is changing tires, right? Because yes, you've right. had positive effects on the community, on people's development, even when there's smash monitors or sharp words or things like that, right? Yeah. I think also because you've affected the, there's a ripple effect, right? Of good leadership and how that 
ripples out into the community and affects the way people outside your team either feel or act or expect to do things or anything like that. And then I think that, you know, really good leadership has that effect over time, right? Here we are talking about good leaders that have, you know, passed on, right? And I think also, and then I'll let you guys, you know, show me how I'm wrong, but I think also the reverse is true, right? If you've got a really bad leader who unfortunately happens to have some power, right? Has influence over people's schedule and pay and what they do and how they feel about themselves. Like that has really negative ripple effects too. Would you guys agree? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think Mike and I for the longest time said, you know, especially with this new generation of, of kids that are coming up, it's, it's purpose over purse strings now. Right. It doesn't matter what, you know, uh, to a lot of them, it doesn't matter what the payout is. Are they going to feel valued where they work? Mm -hmm. But I think what the, the, the pandemic has done, it has really made people reevaluate their relationship with money. Mm -hmm. And what are they willing to, to do to not spend time with their kids? Or like, what are they willing to sacrifice for the time that they got back? Mm -hmm. And, and it starts with valuing people. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you look at, um, you know, self de self determination theory, right? Which goes all the way back to our primal biology, mm -hmm. which basically puts forth the theory that you need three things in your life to be happy: you need to be connected to others, mm -hmm. you need to be competent at what you do, and you need to be authentic in your life. Mm -hmm. So, as a leader, okay, you need to be competent at what you do. As a leader, you need to provide the environment in which they can be successful. Mm -hmm. You have to equip them with the tools and the training so that they can be competent. Mm -hmm. You need to be connected to others, right? So it means your culture needs to be one that is inclusive, mm -hmm. right? It welcomes all. And, and the third is to be authentic in your life. Mm -hmm. So you value people where they're at, mm -hmm. right? You know, Mike and I, Mike and I used to have a boss. Um, and we had a tire changer that had previously been with the company. And a uh, really great guy, one of our energy guys, and just a really great human being. And when he came back, he helped us take one of the teams from outside the top 30 into the top 10. Mm -hmm. And when he was with the company before, he had dreadlocks. And when he was with us, he had you know, since cut them off. And, mm -hmm. and when we were doing really well, I remember our boss coming up to us and saying, you know, hey, this guy seems to take it more serious ever since he cut his dreadlocks off. Right? So he was trying to shoehorn this guy's performance into his definition of what it was. Yeah. And as, as leaders... I think if you can provide those three things, those three things that speak innately to our tribal biology, mm -hmm. you make people feel valued. And when you make people feel valued, you get 100% of their effort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have 10 people operating at 100% than 20 people operating at 40%. Well, that 100%, right? That's the business performance part, right? And Correct. valuing is... Well, whether they go home and kick the cat or worse, right? Right, right. right. And so we are, we are old, like you said, tribal creatures, right? And in some ways, it's not, it's not easy, but it's not that complicated either. Yeah, I, I'll give you three more things. People can generally be underpaid, overworked, or undervalued, but not all three. Yep. And you can't always determine, 
or you, you can't always change the amount of work. You know, sometimes if it's a 10,000 hour project, it's a 10,000 hour project, mm-hmm. no, no matter how we skin it. Mm-hmm. Uh, budgets are in place for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, contracts are year to year, right? You can't always negotiate mid-year. But man, that value piece, you can always, you know, and you talk about like someone's hair or getting out in the community or volunteering or supporting a project that is near to someone who's been affected on your team. There's so many ways that you can add value and that is free. And it has nothing to do with the, (laughs) the job that you're doing, Mm -hmm. but it's just a few minutes outside of that to let people know that, Hey, we actually want to make sure you're continuing to thrive Mm -hmm. outside Mm -hmm. of just this 10,000 hour project. Like what are some of the other things that are important to you? Let's, let's spend some time there. And you know, like we're all saying, I mean, that environment, every team, I mean, you all have been on multiple teams. You can always think back to teams where there were players who never really played. But as long as there was an environment where they were improving, they were generally happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if they weren't a superstar or if they knew like, man, I'm never going to see the ice or the floor or the mm-hmm. field. Mm-hmm. But if coaches were cared, caring, <laughs> if the team was collaborative, uh, if there were leaders ha- had a direction and could help push them towards, you know, their authenticity and their own competency, man, you just had all smiles and you had cohesion. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, you know, I think that's possible uh, in the corporate space. Mm-hmm. I agree. And also, if you're listening but not watching, you should know that both Sean and Mike have very similar hairdos. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or, or lack of hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> They're taken after their tire changer. So, <laughs> so, so there's a piece of, you know, why it matters, right? Because um, it matters on a, on a business level and it matters on a, just the level of humanity, right? And then I think that the next natural question you might ask is, well, what is good leadership all about, right? Is it is, you know, is it my workers get 3% more than a comparable job at another place? I think we kind of already know the answer to that is no, right? And I think there's, I think there's a basis of ethics. I think there's a basis of personal responsibility on the part of the leader, right? He or she has to be personally responsible to themselves, to the organization, and obviously to the people that they serve. And I think that you know, I, I, I think it's a little bit more popular now, but this idea of leadership being a service uh, isn't necessarily commonly accepted. I can see you shaking your head, John. Yeah, you know, I think Mike and I believe, you know, that leadership distilled down to its very essence is selflessness, mm-hmm. right? If you've ever thought of doing something for someone else with, with no thought of reward, mm-hmm. you have what it takes to be a leader. Mm-hmm. But I think so many of us get tripped up by leadership we've seen, you know, historically, Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King. And what we do is the scope of their accomplishment stops us. Right. Because we're like, well, how could I be a leader? I, they've done all those things. How could I be a leader? Right. right, right. right? Um, and it's selflessness. Right. Like that's that's at the very basis of servant leadership. You serve others. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes leadership hard. Mm-hmm. It's super fulfilling, but you better be the last one in line at lunch. Yeah. You better be the one that's willing to give up their bonus, your bonus check when they're one bonus check short. Mm-hmm. It's you know what I mean? And you know, Mike and I joke all the time that every 
difficult decision you make in leadership, you're rewarded with the opportunity to make another difficult decision. And I think leaders, you need to go in that space wanting to serve others. Because if you do it for, you know, the company car and the corner office, it's not going to be worth it, right? It, it, you have to, it's got to be more fulfilling than that because it's difficult. Mm -hmm. It's difficult and the rewards aren't commensurate with a company car in the corner office. They're not. Right? They're, not. they're absolutely they're mostly internal. I mean, I, if we're throwing out examples, I think one of the most rewarding leadership experiences I ever had was during a very difficult time work-wise at a social gathering. And uh, some a woman who worked for me, her husband came up to me, introduced himself and said, my wife is so happy and she's, she loves working for you. And I just want you to know that. And that's, you know, 15 seconds in, you know, a year of shit, right? Yeah. But that made it, in my mind, that made it worth it, right? And I Absolutely. think that, <clears throat> I think that this idea of being selfless is, well, it, quite honestly, it's just not that very popular right now, right? Uh, not, not when people are focused on social media or getting something for themselves or trying to rig things because it just begins to make up from all, for all the times that they were screwed, right? Right. The leadership well, and that's, war. Right. And, and I think that's one of the things that Mike and I have seen going into these corporate spaces. I mean, there's an unmistakable scarcity mindset at most of the places we go. In right? what way? And we do well, in that, okay, there's only one promotion. So I'm going to step on this person, stab this person in the back. So I get it. Yeah, there's yeah, only yeah. one CFO position. Mm -hmm. There's only one district manager. So instead of working together, um, I'm just going to get it for myself. Right. Whereas Mike and I knew that we weren't going to succeed like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we're the only team in NASCAR where our veteran guys practice with our development girls and guys, mm -hmm. because we, something we really believe in is a rising tide lifts all ships. Mm -hmm. And if we can all come up together, everyone gets more. Mm -hmm. And instead of a fight and, you know, instead of fighting for a bigger piece of the pie, mm -hmm. why don't we all just come together and make the pie bigger? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and a quote that we live by is from abundance. I took abundance and still abundance remained. Mm -hmm. If you can adopt that and understand that, Hey, you, 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 you know, Adam, Adam um, Grant wrote a book a couple of years ago called, I think it was called Givers and Takers. And it mm -hmm. talked about, you know, the, the people that, that exist in those spaces. And it was the givers that always ended up coming out on top. Mm -hmm. and, and for some reason, whether that is social media, whatever it is, um, we've moved away from that. But the companies and the leaders that can embrace that will differentiate themselves in the space. Yeah, you've 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 all said it, but I just I want to make sure that it, <laughs> that people didn't skip past that. Uh, David talked about a personal responsibility, like going into each day knowing that I have a personal responsibility to make those around me better right. and to serve those around me. Right. You know, and in in thinking very seldomly about what do I want to get accomplished today, but like what's gonna move this needle for all of all of the employees involved. Um, and then 
you know, difficult decisions boil down to difficult conversations. And I think that is a thing that we kind of shy away from. Mm-hmm. We tend to just kind of voice our opinions on on an email or on a Facebook post, but we don't actually go and deal with it with it head on. And, and I think that's a lost art among leaders. You know, they used to run to the fire and but they would get it before it became you know, a forest fire. It yeah. was, it was still small. Right. And so I think a lot of the issues that we have, you know, could be nipped earlier. Um, if we would just embrace that, you know what, I'm, I'm a leader. It's my job. I have a personal responsibility to care about those on my team, but also to address difficult conversations head on. Uh, but, but to have them in a way that doesn't tear people down, but encourages them to keep going. Yeah. And as I, I agree a hundred percent, and this gets into a personal pet peeve of mine, which is, Part of what you're describing is a gift from Mark Zuckerberg and his associates, where <laughs> instead of running towards the fire or having a difficult conversation, meaning, unfortunately, now I think, and I apologize for this diversion, but I think meaning is, is somehow wrapped up in hitting the like button or the dislike button or the sort of like strange accusation that, you know, 50% of you won't read this whole post, right? If, if we have a society where that is meaningful, it's going to make it much, much more challenging to have those difficult conversations. It's going to make those conversations much more difficult. However, it's going to make them much more valuable, right? Yes. And so, Let's, we can stop that diversion right here, but I'm not going to promise that I won't say it again some other day. <laughs> but if we, if we just go back to the ethics for a second, because I feel like I want to be clear about what this responsibility beyond yourself, the selflessness, is all about. And I think that's being honest, you know, which is consistent and transparent. I think it's having humility, which we've mentioned before, but... You know, I think that's a book in and of itself, right? And it's having empathy, right? It's being able to look at somebody, what they're doing and figure out how they're feeling and what's meaningful to them and figure out how to coordinate that with the purpose of the organization. And, you know, we've had some, we've had some advantages, especially on sports teams, because when we went from you know, the bench to third string to second, whatever, you know, whatever the metaphor is, when we were, say, on varsity, we could say, all right, so we know what it's like to have to pick up all the water bottles after practice or something like that, right? But an awful lot of leaders come into positions, especially when they switch jobs, and it's almost like this odd flick of the hand, like you're Louis C.K. I have people take care of that for me. Can't somebody just do this for me? And if you go back to the ethics of, you know, being humble, being honest, being responsible, and having empathy for the people that you work with, that kind of behavior is really hard to engage in. Oh, I agree. And, and super destructive. I mean, yeah, that's, good young, that's a good point. Yeah. Young leaders have to understand that every single thing they do is being watched and judged. Right? Yeah. So if you think you're going to get, and, and, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. So a lot of times if, if they see you take a shortcut here, 
You know, you might think it, 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 it could be super innocent. It could reverberate to become a much bigger thing. So it's, you know, you always, you always are making the decision to err on the side of being, doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Right, not cutting corners, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. treating people poorly, not you know what I mean, and and, and it goes to Mike's point um, about the responsibility of a leader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pete, talk about Chiefs for a little bit, just how how you became one back in the uh, in that context. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. Mike and I caught up. Uh, it was at the conclusion of a, a company we were presenting to. I think sometimes you know you. The guys and girls that are climbers in organizations, they're, they distinguish themselves, right? And you figure out pretty quickly, hey, this guy's a climber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he kind of hems Mike and I up. He's a high-energy guy. And he's like, hey, guys, you know, love, love what you did. You know, what, uh, what can you tell me? I'm, I'm, right on the, I'm knocking on the door of one of these C-level positions. What can you tell me? And I'm like, um, okay, well, what position are you after? And he's like, CFO. I said, okay, what, is, what does the C and CFO stand for? And he says it stands for chief. And I said, okay, well, let's think about this for a second. How did a young Indian warrior go about becoming a chief? Right. And he goes, yeah, I've never really thought about it. And we said, well, a young Indian warrior sets out, and his or hers only concern is how the tribe is fed, how the tribe is clothed, and how the tribe is protected. And they spend themselves selflessly to that end. And although their initial goal is not to become the chief, through their actions, they ascend to the position of chief. And then I said, do you know what the number one character trait of a psychopath is? It's profound lack of empathy. Right. So what what sounds more like what's going on in this country? CEO, chief executive officer, or PEO, psychopath executive officer? So I said, it's pretty simple. You want to ascend to the position of chief? If you want to ascend to a C-level position, act like a chief. Mm-hmm. And all that means is to spend yourself selflessly for others. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I think I, it's frightening. I wrote, read this book. It was called The Psychopath Next Door. Number one character trait of a psychopath is a profound lack of empathy. Second character trait is unsatiable quest for power. Yes. So you combine those two things, you kind of start getting a glimpse into why we're uh, going down the road we're going down. Yeah, 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 I agree. And just to go back to what you were saying, Mike, about being watched really closely, you know, that's, I'm a big Springsteen fan, and that's what he said when he became a parent, is that you have no idea when you're a parent just how closely your kids are watching you. And, you know, Parenting and being a leader in a business isn't the same thing, but it's not exactly entirely different either, right? Very similar in that more is um, caught than taught, right? right. It's um, you can say whatever you want, you can issue every you know your quarterly emails and get in front of everybody and speak, but if those actions aren't aligned, um, man, it, it you just it. You don't have a shot. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time, like when your actions parallel your words, you have a shot at right. being able to execute whatever right. the, whatever dream or vision you want. Right. Um, but, you know, people are paying attention and they're watching and they're talking and there's, you know, we don't have the water cooler chat as much as we do virtually anymore, but it's still going on via text and mm-hmm. side conversations. And so and the speed of which things are, are traveling is actually happening, happening faster. And so um, one little missed act uh maybe only a few people would catch it 10 years ago now everyone sees it and so 
uh, you know, it's uh, it is important that that we, you know, that our words parallel our actions. Yeah. And so we, if we Sean, if we take your example of the uh, burgeoning CFO, right? I think if you're if you're listening to this, you're thinking, okay, I get what you're saying. How do I how do I practice? What do I do? Right. And I think your example is really good. Although I can imagine some people take a step back and say, well, I'm not exactly sure how to make sure all my employees have enough to eat. Right. Or are not being, you know, attacked by the neighboring tribe. And so I, I, I just want to touch a little bit on, you know, this idea of, all right, I'm going to work tomorrow. What do I look for? What do like, how do, how do I approach this idea of like, I want to practice being a leader. I want to like practice being a better leader. What comes to mind for you guys? You know, I think, you know, I think obviously a huge tool for that is feedback, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so many of us would rather be, you know, ruined by praise than saved by, you know, negative criticism. So Mike and I, you know, really early on, we solicited as much negative feedback as we could. Mm-hmm. And believe me, there's plenty, <laughs> you know, cause it, it really tried to, it gave us an understanding of, okay, okay. Yeah. We're doing this right, but we're missing it here. Yeah. And your, your ego has to be well healed to do that because there's things that are difficult to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, going in there and like, you know, it's like, you know, you look at the greatest amongst us in sports, right? Like a Wayne Gretzky or a Michael Jordan, their value wasn't that just they could score. Their value was that they made everyone around them better, right? And that's exactly, in the chief example, what, what the young Indian warrior sets out to do is to make everyone around them better. Mm-hmm. That's what great leaders do. They go in, they, they solicit negative feedback, not only to sharpen their skills, but to provide people with the tools they need to be competent at their job. goes back to our self-determination part, right? Right. Of allowing people to fill that biological tribal need mm-hmm. right? and going in there you know have i have i created an environment where all these people can be successful mm-hmm. and if i haven't what's preventing me from doing that mm-hmm. 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 and i would say a part of that feedback i'm, I'm with you 100 percent on that but i think if you're going to go in and ask for feedback if you know you you're all fresh and ready and you want to go in and say hey how am i doing you have to be prepared to listen. <laughs> listening, <laughs> listening is a skill that we forgot after we learned how to talk, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And I also Absolutely. think that listening requires patience and humility. But I think, you know, that sort of classic couples therapy exercise where one person says something and then the other person is only allowed to repeat what they said and they're in their own words, they understand there's, there's real value to that. Right? So I think listening and clarifying and asking and almost, you know, here's something for practice. You go to somebody and maybe on your first day, you don't go to somebody who you know is going to say something that's going to be tough, but you go somewhere in the middle. Hey, how am I doing? How did this report go? What could we do better? Some question like that. And then you promise yourself that you're not going to respond other than say, I think I understand that you said X, Y, Z, and thank you. And do you have anything else to say? 
I can't, I can't see how, I can't see how that would be a bad thing. No, I agree. And I think, you know, I think in front of this too, David, I, I, I want to say one thing is that young leaders, like if you get a promotion and you find yourself new in a spot like Mike and I did, um, give yourself some time. It's terrible. You know, I, I it, you know, a lot of us, you see a lot of leaders get a position and they come in with, with, with the ax and just start cutting people out and chopping trees down and changing the light fixtures. Yeah. Right. Mike and I had a really formative, um, experience when we were at Red Bull and basically, uh, Red Bull leadership changed in the middle of our tenure there. Mm -hmm. And the guy that came in, um, brought a bunch of his close friends and just wiped, wiped out everybody, mm -hmm. everyone, pit crew guys, mechanics, fabricators, and I remember thinking, wow, he just let this guy go. And he was an, maybe the best fabricator in the sport. Mm -hmm. And if he would have just spent some time understanding what he had in the building, he would have realized we were a better race team than what he just made us into. Right. So right. when Mike and I took over the pickers at Chip Ganassi, we, we went in there and we had a pretty strong inclining. 10 of the 14 guys would not be returning, mm -hmm. but we didn't go in there and just clear them out. We cleared out the guys that were going to be cancers that we knew we just could not build. What we wanted to build with, mm -hmm. but we allowed people some time to show their value mm -hmm. before we allowed our, our preconceived notions and our implicit biases to come in and be like, Oh no, this person's got to go. Right. Right. I think that's a really important point that leaders got to understand is make sure you know the value in the room um, before you set about changing anything. Mm hmm the one thing I was going to add is when you solicit feedback, um, if everyone says you're amazing, you, we, we probably need to change the room or we need to change the approach, <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, cause we're all screwing something up. Right. And if you don't have the, the people that can be honest with you about that, you've either put them on a place where they don't feel comfortable speaking truthfully mm -hmm. Um, or you've surrounded yourself with people um, who ultimately will not probably get the job done. Mm -hmm. You need to change that, right? Find people that can challenge the way you think, uh, that can push you, that can get your team to the next level. We talk all the time about thinking vertically versus horizontally. And I think it's up to us as leaders to think, how do we keep climbing? How do we push our company and our groups and our teams to the next level? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not how do we get from January to February right. and Q1 to Q2, right? Those are important. The linear stuff is important, but it's the, it's the, uh, it's the brilliance that we need that, that only happens when we, we go vertical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I agree 100%. I think the other thing to practice is, and this, is, again, is a huge topic, but this, this alignment of, you know, stories and needs and, and paths between your individual employee and what the team is trying to do or what the business is trying to do. And so, you know, one, one good thing to practice in your conversations, and it might just be, it might just be a question is, you know, something along the lines of how, how does this thing work for you? Right? How does this workout or deadline or this initiative that we're doing, does that give you the skills or the challenge or is it boring or, you know, the, the, the questions are almost unlimited, but having a sense of curiosity 
might be a really good place to start, especially since, and this is the second thing I wanted to add, is that we, we know so little about the things that we're making decisions about, right? We, yeah. we, the, the tenor of the room changes as soon as we walk in as a leader, right? They stop, they being the other people in the room, stop saying things that, as Mike said, maybe they think you don't want to hear, or they think you're not going to address, or, well, everybody knows, you know, the vacation policy can't change, so I'm not going to gripe about it, whatever it is. And so walking into a situation, going back to what you were saying earlier, Sean, and saying, you know, I don't really know, and that's okay, but I'll try to figure it out so we get a good solution. That's a really good practice, I think, and I don't think that it's something that people do an awful lot of in a leadership position. Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, we keep coming back to the same words when it comes to leadership. It's humility, right? Mm -hmm. That humility gives feedback and diversity and hiring and challenge and creativity a chance. It comes back to serving, thinking about others mm -hmm. um, before we think about ourselves. And, and these are all things that we were taught in preschool, but we just, we lose them along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, curiosity, um, not having such a rigid approach to things that you can't or are unable to change your mind about things. Sometimes mm -hmm. the biggest, best way to pivot, we, we think about, you know, we talk, we're in the, the speed industry um, and speed being a currency right now, especially when it comes to business, but we can't change or adapt if we, uh, if we're so rigid and have everything, it's gotta be my way or the highway, right? Yeah. It's gotta be that we are able to change our minds, able to, um, you know, <laughs> we've had some, we had some, some interesting moments where, uh, we had it, this is what we're doing. And we had some of our youngest, newest people say, no, why, 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 why would we do it that way? And we had to sleep on it. You know, <laughs> that was hard for them. Like, these kids just started a few months ago. We've been doing this for over a decade. What do you mean? This is, but they were like, you know, they're right. And so, um, and we were better for it, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it, it was learning those things the hard way. Mm -hmm. So we're, and we're here and, and we're, there's no reason why we're here. Like you said, is to help. And, uh, these are some of you know, one thing that you can't do, especially younger people, is you can't skip the process. There's so many life hacks and leadership hacks online. Uh, some of this stuff, you just kind of have to learn it over time. But when you have folks like us that have failed a lot, you know, <laughs> we can save you a little bit of time. We can't save you all of it, but we can save you some. And Dave, just to expand on your point that you said earlier, it's, you know, understanding people's stories, right? leading people individually. I think, you know, I think that is a leadership style that's only kind of showed itself in the last decade or so, yeah. right? It used to be, this is the way I lead. I'm going to lead every single person the same way and everyone will respond positively to the way I lead. General. That's a fallacy. That's a fallacy. It is. And, and, you know, we talk about empathy. You know, I think that a lot of people get empathy mixed up, right? I think they think that empathy is tolerating poor performance. And it's not. Empathy is understanding the human factors that drive performance mm -hmm. and addressing those mm -hmm. so that we move forward together. Mm -hmm. right? That's what good leadership looks like. And that's why it is important to know the stories of your people. Mm -hmm. You know, what lights this person up may have be of no interest to this person that works right beside them. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you if you can show an innate understanding of, of just their humanness, um, man, you are so much further ahead than anyone else. Right. Right. And, and that difference between people, I remember 
remember talking to a group of people once and saying, you know, I've got mustard, raisins, and some cauliflower, and we have to make dinner. So let's figure out how to do that, right? And the two people that have different goals in life but are working on the same team can actually work together very well towards a common goal, but it's up to the leader to understand their stories, coordinate it with the business stories, figuring out what they can do and how to put it together so that it's successful. And to your point about the, I mean, we joke about failure a lot, right? But studies show that that's where learning happens, right? You don't learn without failure. And if you spend all your time avoiding failure, well, what do you think is gonna happen? You're gonna end up a little older realizing that everybody else in the world is absolutely wrong and you're the only one that's right and you can't figure out why they don't understand you right <laughs> and whether you talk about like Brene Brown you know that uncomfortable dark middle part between you know finding a problem and solving it you have to stay with it you know and there's this also this idea of you know the the zone of what is it proximal development right mm -hmm. where You've got somebody who's more experienced, you know, more knowledgeable, hopefully the leader. And if they are appropriately engaged with somebody who's doing something that has a challenge, but it's not so much of a challenge that's overwhelming, that's, that's where learning happens. And if your group learns and the group together collectively learns, well, you'll be able to change tires faster, or you'll be able to change tires faster and not kick the cat when you come home. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And yeah. so I think that I think that we can take this stuff at least as a beginning and listeners can practice this. They can ask us questions, but you know, this idea of selflessness and consistent practice and you know, almost in a way like making yourself redundant, right? So that if you get hit by a bus, you know, everyone else knows what to do, at least in the, sh in the short term, to be able to achieve their goals. And it doesn't, it doesn't have a, a micromanaging effect to it, if that makes sense. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, I think we default to the example of Steve Kerr. Right? I think the second or third year, the Golden State Warriors were just rolling. You know, he had, you know, significant, you know, back problems to the point he had surgery he missed gosh i think it was you know 60 or you know more more than a half the season yeah. and they go on and have a better season that year than they did the year before mm -hmm. and people are screaming they're like oh see we don't need steve kerr mm -hmm. no 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 that's exactly why you need steve kerr mm -hmm. because he built something so powerful that could be sustained without him mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and i think leaders you know that that takes a well-placed ego because you think oh gosh you know, nothing will survive without me. No, no, no. If you're doing it right, it'll survive without you. It'll even thrive without you. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, while I was thinking about this, our very first episode, I was thinking about what I used to say and still do to some extent to my kids about points on the compass. And they'll roll their eyes if they're ever foolish enough to listen to this when I say points on the compass because they're sick of hearing it. But I think it's really germane here because if we have, if you, dear listener, 
make a very, very small adjustment and you make that adjustment and you hold that adjustment, it's like the difference between one point on the compass and another. And then over time, on a long journey, you end up in a completely different place. And so when I think we, we're talking about failure and these small changes that you can make and being intentional about your leadership, making a very small, very small adjustment. It's like that study that they did about um, patients and doctors and doctors who spent something like 15 seconds or 18 seconds more than average listening to the patients. The patients actually were healthier. They recovered faster, yep. right? Yep. That's such a small change. But think about that patient's life over time. That makes a huge, huge difference. And that's really what we want to give you here, right? We want, it, we want you to spend a little time listening, whether you agree or disagree, but some ideas for you to be able to take back to where you work, the people you work with, and be able to make small adjustments that over time make things better. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, I, I think what makes us different is that it's authentic. You know, we're not, we're not, we didn't read six leadership books, go get a master's in leadership and then get a leadership podcast. You know, you started, David, you started businesses, Yeah. right? I was a captain of a hockey team before I got into this. Mike's led teams. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I mean? Like this is, this is real. And, and uh, you know, again, it's, I, this is the selfless part. We want to see you do better. And that's why it's worth our time to put this together. Yes, that's very true. We're taking time away from Mike's kids, from <laughs> Jane's gardening projects that Sean Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, whatever I can conjure up as being important on the day. So <laughs> we, want to, uh, we want to say that we appreciate everybody listening. And uh, we will come out with more specific things as the weeks roll on. And you'll be able to search the different episodes for different things that maybe you're struggling with, whether it's employees or, you know, business performance or something like that. But it does all come down to how a leader works. So yeah. we appreciate your time and we're looking forward to talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.